people think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen Furst. Well, we're here today with Deborah Hain. Uh, she has over 25 years of nursing experience working in various areas of nephrology. She is an assistant professor of Florida Atlantic University and Christine College of Nursing. She also works as a nurse practitioner at Cleveland Clinic, Florida Department of Nephrology. Well, welcome to the show, Deborah. Thank you very much. Glad to be with you. Well, today we're going to be talking about an important topic because um, uh, can you give us a little bit about, you know, why patient engagement is so important in the industry now and why we're hearing that term so frequently? Well, for years, the healthcare professionals, including those working with people undergoing dialysis, have struggled to provide the most effective and efficient care um, and to improve their health out in they give provide this care. Although we've been made many strides with this, we still see errors that are being made. And errors can be can range anywhere from clinician errors to patient errors. And for patient errors can be things like intentional unintentional behavior that doesn't really fit with what the healthcare provider has recommended. We now realize that patient engagement is a promising strategy to reduce errors, leading to better health outcomes for individuals. Well, you know, I think in the past, it's kind of been the situation where you, you know, you would go to the doctor, you'd go to the facility, go to the hospital, and you just say, take care of me. And a lot of times, the healthcare system's very parental. They'll like, they'll tell you what to do. But basically, the industry is saying, hey, kids, we want you to be more engaged and tell us what to do. Is that where the, the engagement is going? I think it has been historically a patriarchal where there's that dominance of like, almost like a patriarch of the, you know, I'm telling you what's best for you, and this is what you need to follow, and and if you don't follow this, then you become, then you're labeled non-compliant or non-adherent, and we really don't take the time to understand why people may not be able to do what we're asking them to do, and there are many reasons why they aren't. So patient engagement takes a focus where we're looking for a patient perspective so that they're then able to to tell us why they're not able to, or at least disclose how they feel about things, um, and if they're able to follow what the healthcare provider may be recommending. So this is such an important issue to Medicare. They've created a program called the Speak Up Campaign. Can you tell us a little bit about that? The Speak Up Campaign um, was a joint commission which inspects hospitals and make sure that they, they accredit hospitals to make sure that their standards are, uh, they have best practice standards. And they've been doing that for a long time, the Joint Commission. And they have worked together with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. And they will, in 2002, they launched a national campaign to urge patients to take a role in pre- preventing health care errors by becoming active, involved, and informed participants in, on the health care team. The program really fe- it features many ways to encourage this. They have posters and buttons. And there are a variety of topics about Speak Up, and they recommend 
to speak up if you have questions or concerns, and if you still don't understand, ask again. And it's really, it's your body and your right to know. Well, you know, one of the things that it is, um, but can you maybe give patients a little bit of a, a couple of ideas on, you know, sometimes when you speak up or you're saying, oh, you know, can you wash your hands or something like that, or uh, they they become offended or they get upset at you. So it, sometimes there's a, a, a disconnect because when patients are trying to advocate for themselves and, and be engaged, it's not exactly how the professional wants the patient to be engaged. Absolutely. And that's something we're trying to change throughout healthcare. And I've been to many conferences where they're interdisciplinary. And this topic comes up repeatedly of how we look from a patient-centered approach rather than we, we, we typically came from a, a physician, nurse practitioner, healthcare provider approach, as you, we had talked about earlier. And this patient-centered approach is really coming from that patient-centered view. But as you are starting with that patient and working from that point of view. However, as you stated, there are some centers that that does not happen. And I see them, actually. I see I go to many different dialysis centers, and some I see that that's a focus, and I can tell the difference in the outcomes um, as I see patients in the dialysis centers. But as a patient, I know that sometimes it can be challenging, and sometimes that person sitting there is frustrated because they just want someone to hear what they're saying. And sometimes I've heard patients say that they will just say, I'll tell them what they want to hear because I don't want to hear it with their lecture or I don't want to hear things. So sometimes that disconnect, in fact, that disconnect in communication can actually hinder the care and really lead to more to poor health outcomes for that person. So the best way to approach someone, and this is in any way that you talk to people, is first we want to be respectful. So somebody doesn't, if they're busy and they're running around the dialysis trying to take care of patients and then you want to talk to them and they and you say something to them, they may stop and say, well, I'm in the middle of this because they're caught up in the moment of what they're doing. So for a person sitting there, it, it may be a little challenging because you're sitting in that chair and you really are concerned about something or would like something an, a question answered. It becomes important that you, you respect where that person, what they're doing, and perhaps starting off with, I can see that you're busy, and I, I, would, I really would like to talk about something. Can you tell me when it's a good time when we can talk? And trying to help, trying to approach it in a more, in a way that's not, I need you to talk to me now, or, and if the person doesn't respond, reminding them later. I, what's really important in a partnership type of model where the patient is the expert about self and their wishes and their desires, and the healthcare professional is the expert on treatment of the disease and the illness, and you come together to 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 engage in discussion and this mutually establish goals and make share in the decision making process. Well, that is some key components of that are trust and respect. So by being respectful of that person who's um, not responding to you right away and saying, "Well, maybe they're they're busy right now. I'll, I won't, you know, I'll maybe saying as I stated before." Well, some of the areas that are important that patients should always be engaged in is medications, labs, and diet. Can you reemphasize, like, you know, if you don't bring your meds in or you don't know what they are? I mean, healthcare professionals get frustrated when they keep repeating the same things over and over again. So you have to be mindful of that and be as prepared as possible. Do you find that um, with some patients that are more prepared than others? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. And that is, we have some issues that why some people aren't 
as engaged others, and we have to consider issues such as low health literacy. You know, if someone doesn't really understand, sometimes they don't know what to ask or how, as you had said earlier, how to approach someone. So that, in our and our for healthcare providers, we should be considerate of that that someone may not understand. The other is um, the cultural cultural and uh, differences. You know, where so we have to consider that as part of the communication process. But the responsibility of a person is to know what their medications are and bring their medications in to make sure they're taking the correct medications. If for some reason the person cannot take that medication, then they need to tell the, the, the dietitian, the nurse, whoever they're talking to. When I first started at working in dialysis in, in the 80s uh, as a nurse, as a dialysis nurse, I remember I would come in and I'd see patients would come in and they'd have a, uh, you know, large weight gains in between the treatments and they would say, I never drank anything. I don't know what you're talking about. And we would say, oh, yes, we know you did. We know what you did. And we become accusatory. We'd say, you know, like you're a bad child. And, of course, the person responded negatively to us. I couldn't understand that, so I changed my approach. And I, what I try to do is understand why a person may not be doing what they're doing, what, they're, what I've recommended that they do. And so the responsibility of the person, the patient, is that you need to say, you know, I don't think I can take those pills. And no, I'm not taking those, that, that, that binder because I can't, it bothers my stomach. Being honest with them and telling them why you can't do what, I don't have the money to buy the medication. You know, I need some help financially, something's happened. Whatever reasons that you may not be taking it. The patients I have now, I, the approach I have with them is very much uh, a partnership. And so when I come in and their phosphorus is high, they'll say to me, before I even see them, my phosphorus is high, and before I see their labs, they'll say, my phosphorus is high. But I, w- I went to a birthday party the other day, and that's why it's high. And I said, well, do you know what to do to fix that? Yes, I do know. I don't tell them why they should be at their phosphorus down. I, I accept that they understand, and we'll monitor what happens. And I think being honest, I didn't take my blinders. I went out to dinner. I forgot them is a better approach than saying, no, I took them, or no, I don't understand. And if you don't understand, saying, I don't understand. What's really essential is asking and seeking the information and also learning as much as you can. Well, and I find, too, with patients that um, I just hosted a workshop this last week, and it really came out that some patients, you know, they don't want to deal with it because they're depressed. And, you know, you can't be engaged when you're depressed. So, you know, uh, I don't know if you see that, but you need, you need to really talk to your doctor about that if, if you are feeling depressed, and you know, because it's hard to be engaged. Absolutely. Absolutely. When you're depressed, there can be a degree where you, uh, where you just don't want to get involved in anything. And if you ask people if they're depressed, that whole idea of depression is very individualized. People have their own perception of what depression means, and they may not think that they're depressed. Because that's not what I think depression is, and I'm not, I'm not the way I think it should be. So I, it's really when you see that you're not interested in things, when you don't want to, um, you're very tight, you just want to kind of be left alone, you, you may be depressed. And definitely depression goes with chronic disease. It's, it's well known, it, the literature supports that, especially when you first start dialysis. So at that, you know, Discussing, you don't always need to have medication. Some people need some medication for a short time to get out of, to move um, to another level so they can start engaging and feel better and then maybe get weaned off the medication. But some people need counseling. Right. And how to live with this disease. So it's not always. There are other, there are non-pharmacological interventions for depression. I know. It it is. I mean, when I had to 
start back on dialysis. Luckily, I was able to get transplanted again. It's just a transition. I mean, you know, I, I consider my somebody. Uh, I consider myself pretty chronically happy, but it it really impacts your emotions, and you sometimes like, you know, I just don't want to do anything. Just take care of me, <laughs> and especially when you're in the hospital. Uh, you really, if you don't feel like you can be engaged, I mean, you need a family member because, uh, you know, it's to prevent medical errors. And there's a reason there's a high number of medical errors in the hospital. And if you're not engaged, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, you absolutely need to have a family member, somebody that you trust to, uh, this is not something you can do by yourself. Uh, yesterday, I saw a gentleman who needs to start dialysis very soon. And he, he they were, I spent about three hours with him. And he was crying, she was crying. He just is not ready for this to be part of his life. And I think as I walked out the door, I saw one of our dialysis patients in the lobby. This is at the physician practice. And she was sitting there, and she had a hard time when she started two years ago. And I said, would you mind just coming and talk to him? Because he, I could see he really needed to see that there is a life that right. can you can you can... It's it's what I call a new normal that you can you have to find a way to like you said chronically happy you know you don't want to there's not anybody I don't know anybody wants to be in dialysis have dialysis but you want to survive so finding some way to have support in this case the woman went in and told him I I was where you were two you you are right now two years ago and I am very happy right now yeah peer support can make such a difference because you just you you think your life's over you can't. You know, I always say an illness is too demanding when you don't have hope. And when you're diagnosed, you don't see a future a lot of times. You're like, this is my life. I'm not going to make it. And uh, I have that committee in my head that can be pretty dangerous at times when it, it's in, in full committee. <laughs> I saw a gentleman yesterday. You know, every time I tried to tell him about another treatment modality, you know, he I could just see his face. His, I, he, I felt so bad telling him, you know, that... But yet I know that he needs to know this information to make a decision, what right. best treatment for him is. And that's hard to do because as you tell someone, they think, oh, my gosh, how did I get here? Well, and how am I going to live with this, you know? Yeah, no, it's it's so difficult. When you're in the dialysis facility, you interact with many different um, healthcare professionals. Can you maybe review, you know, when you're engaging one of your healthcare professionals, engaging them in an issue that they can actually help you with? Like you wouldn't want to ask a social worker about your diet, but sometimes uh, they just think everybody's a healthcare professional and could help them. Um, it really helps maximize their health care if they know who to talk to. Absolutely. The beauty of dialysis is that we have a truly an interprofessional team. We've had it for years, as you know. And each person has, we should all be working together as a, to support that person undergoing dialysis and as well as their family members. However, everyone does have certain responsibility that they're educated. They're professionals in those areas. So when we talk about the dietitian versus the social worker, they both have very much needed roles in the dialysis center. However, they have distinct roles, which are the dietitian is there to tell you what nutritional, what foods you should be eating and helping you, guide you as far as being healthy and eating the correct foods and taking your binders and looking at uh, your phosphorus and calcium. And the, the, so the role of the dietitian is very important as far as nutrition. But the dietitian may hear things that are important if you're depressed, the, the social worker is a perfect person to talk to. They're so they're trained, you know. They they know how to do counseling, and they're not they're there for other reasons. But they can they can be someone to talk to if you are feeling down and and, not, and feeling blue and maybe and depressed. But they also can 
address other social issues. So, for example, when I talked about not having the money for your binders, well, they can they can help you find ways to hopefully, uh, if possible, is help supplement that or identify other ways. If there's other social issues you're facing, they're, they're definitely experts in that area. The uh, physician, of course, is our is somebody very important. A nephrologist is essential in the in the care of anybody undergoing dialysis, and they are they they are the ones prescribing the treatment and and working in conjunction with what we with nurse practitioners and physician assistants who um, can come into there and 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 see the person undergoing dialysis. Currently, uh, Medicare allows. The nurse practitioner or physician assistant to come in three to four times a month to see that person and the physician once a month. We should be working as a team and collaborating with the physician if necessary for whatever uh, to make sure the care is appropriate for the patient. Well, in a lot of time, the physician assistant or the nurse practitioner, to me, seems to have more time. And so, um, you know, you might have a great relationship with a physician, but if he's brought on a nurse practitioner or physician assistant, really take the time to get to know them because they're going to be able to provide more time because physicians are so busy. There's a shortage of nephrologists, and it's just a reality. You're absolutely right. We have a shortage of nephrologists. The nephrologists cannot do all the work. They are very busy. And I, one of the things I do for with the nephrologists I work for is I do the things they're unable to do, so they can't go to every center all the time. So I see those patients there for them. And if there's something that I feel is beyond my scope of practice, I call the physician. And sometimes I call the physician just to let them know what I've done because I'm not always there, and they may get a call. And it's really about communicating what's happened with that person so that the, they get the best care. Well, yeah, it's been a situation where, and it's worked out well, but I've dealt with a nurse practitioner in in the practice, and I've had an issue, and then later on I had a more serious issue, and my doctor knew about it, which made me just feel good. You know, it wasn't like I had to update him again on the situation, <laughs> you know, and that communication is so important. So it's great when the healthcare team can carry that out. That, that's probably one of the biggest flaws in our healthcare system right now is lack of communication between healthcare providers and between settings. It's really important that as a person there goes dialysis that you're not only be engaged in your care but knowing what you should you know knowing what your I always teach people you should know what your treatment is, what your medications are, what, how, what you should be eating, what your diet is. Because if you go in the hospital, or at least your family knows this, write it down somewhere, a paper with this information that are key information about what, what happens during your dialysis. So when you, if by chance you have to go in the hospital, we, um, that they have that information. The other thing is when you go to a physician, let's say to an access clinic, and they don't communicate with your physician, make sure your physician or a nurse practitioner or a PA know that you went there. You can be the person to communicate because then we can all do the right thing. If we don't, sometimes some of our patients will go to see a doctor, a primary care physician, and we don't know what that doctor did because we don't get that information. And so then that may hinder something. If we, Like you said, there may be something minor that grows into something bigger, and we didn't know that this physician or our healthcare provider implemented the treatment. So ask questions when you go to other healthcare providers and make sure that you communicate this to your dialysis. Well, I always, I'm my own case manager because I see a lot of doctors and I'm always kind of giving them an update every time. It's, it's exhausting and it takes a high level 
of um, ability. But, you know, it is. You don't know when you go to OBGYN or a cardiologist or whatever. They don't know what's happening. So um, it's really important to always tell those other healthcare professionals to fax the records to, especially the nephrologist. I, I always have them send it to my nephrologist. And that's what I've told patients, make sure that they... Yes, this doctor, please send. We don't have a problem if you go to another doctor. That's your decision. But make sure that they send that information to the nephrologist because then the nephrologist knows what's going on. And that's my one of my roles is to make sure that I hear things in the dialysis centers that I know the physicians don't hear, that they're not there. And so my job is to make sure. And sometimes it's just a message to them on the phone. Mr. So-and-so did this so that you're aware when they come in the office because the physician wants to know everything that's going on so they can deliver the best care. And also in the unit, there's the techs and RNs. And I think that, you know, there's more and more technicians, obviously. But I think sometimes patients get confused in thinking that technicians have a certain level of knowledge. So they really need to, to talk to the RN if it's a, a serious medical issue that's going on with them while they're on dialysis. Because a technician does not have the same level, although they're, a lot of them are extremely knowledgeable. Uh, they're not trained. And so I always, again, you know, say, you know, there's several nurses in the facility, the nurse administrator, the charge nurse, and say, you know, I need to understand this medication I'm taking, or what did you just give me as you injected in, you know, into dialysis tubing? Well, a situation has come up. Uh, one of our members had a situation where uh, one of the technicians in the unit was not washing their hands. And um, he actually ended up getting labeled pretty difficult. He, he got to have somewhat of a reputation of being, you know, oh, he's going to complain. Well, there was a situation where there were a couple other patients that saw the same situation but were afraid to speak up. And only when that other patient spoke up, he was somewhat vindicated. So sometimes being an engaged patient, you know, helps people, but it also makes it very uncomfortable for patients because this particular technician was not following protocol. And how do you how do you help a patient be the squeaky wheel without being, you know, labeled in the clinic? Well, what I've seen, and, and one of my roles, I always think you start with the person and you approach them in a way that says, you know, I know you're busy or, you know, kind of a positive and then the negative so that it doesn't come out as if they're, you know, you didn't do, you didn't wash your hands. But, you know, um, I see that you're busy, you know, but did you, were you aware you aren't washing your hands or something like that? But if that doesn't work and the person then becomes labeled, which they will, and I see it in many times, and what happens for what I've done in the center is that patients will tell me things, and then it's up to me to go to the to the technician. It's I'm not I'm not working there for that company, but sometimes I will come up to them and say, "Hey, you know," and I'll make it in a way that's non-threatening. It's really important to approach non-threatening. I think that as a person sitting there, it's very scary if you can't if that person's not doing what you know they should do. So that puts you in a very vulnerable position. And to be labeled that is also unfair to the person seeing that. What, ha what I've seen is when I'm able to come back to the staff and say, you know, maybe if we look at it this way, they'll sometimes change their attitudes. And if it doesn't work, I mean, I would, I would hope that you would be able, that this person would be able to go to the charge nurse and say something or to the administrator and say something. I would hate to think that it has to go to a level where you have to call an ombudsman. Well, and it, it is. It's, it's, you know, we talk to people we trust. And, you know, I, I know in every clinic there's certain people. It might be the social worker. It might be uh, one of the technicians. But it's somebody we feel we can confide in. 
And it's great when that particular person that we can confide in has the expertise to be able to help, basically help convey the information or tell us how to convey it. Because it's it's scary. I mean, it's scary to basically say somebody isn't doing the right thing. Yeah, I think what you said is finding someone you can trust. Because I think when people tell me, it's because they trust me. And then I, as I said, I don't work there. So I go to other people that are that I know I can go to and talk about what has happened. Um, but yes, it's very important. To, I, 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 the best way is to approach the person in a positive way, then move up the chain of command. Hopefully, it will be resolved without being labeled. Unfortunately, as you stated, it happens. It happens, and it's, you know, you really need to talk to your physician or whoever can say, look, I'm just, because it's like a, a marriage, and you really feel have to feel like you have uh, the lines of communication are open. Well, in closing, um, I think it's really important that the patient knows that they're developing a care plan for them. Can you tell a little bit about how that works in the unit and how patients can be involved in their care plan? You know, the way that it was was set up in Medicare said we have to have the social worker, di- all these experts involved in the care of a person undergoing dialysis, social worker, dietitian, everybody you had mentioned earlier, is that we're supposed to uh, meet with the patient and have a conference that we meet with all the, de- the professionals. Unfortunately, in many times, um, instances, You've got healthcare providers who are around in multiple centers, and it's challenging to get a whole team together. But as a patient, I think, and they do see the care plan, but it's not always the way it was meant to be as a group discussion. However, um, I think as a person undergoing dialysis, that you should ask to see and talk to people, look at that care plan. When they bring it to you to sign that care plan, you review it because this is what they're making this decision. You should have a part in this care plan. And they shouldn't just hand you a piece of paper and say, okay, here, sign this. It's your care plan. And I've seen in some centers they'll set it down on the chair, on the table there, you know, a little side thing by the chair, and they'll say, okay, this is your care plan. You can read it, and and I'll come back later and get it from you. Well, if you can look at it, does that mean you understood what they're doing? You really, if you don't understand, ask them. Say, I would appreciate if someone could take the time to sit with me. If they don't, then you really, it's really important. I think the they will. The dietitian often will. The social worker, RNs don't always have the time, but the nurse practitioner, RPA, physician assistant, whoever you think you can ask, I would ask. You know, okay, they said they're going to increase my medication for my anemia. Um, well, okay, what does this mean? And why? You know, I just read somewhere that if your hemoglobin is is over 11, that you could have a problem. Well, what does that mean for me? If I if you read things online and you say you know, I'm reading this, I looked it up, and it said this could happen. You have to ask people and say, you know, I read this, but you're doing this. Can you help me understand why you're doing this for me? Because what's important is even if you read things online, it may not be appropriate for you. And your treatment is maybe, even though everybody in that center is undergoing dialysis together and doing the same treatment, you're all unique. And so your needs may be different. Your responses may be different. So asking them, you know, I really would like someone, if you understand and you have no questions, that's fine. If you don't, ask the questions. The key is ask. You have a right to know what's going on. Those people in my own practice I've seen, the long-term survivors are those people who ask, and they don't let somebody come up and say, just put a drug in and give you you know, medication. They don't know what it is. They know exactly what you're doing to them. And it's not because they're trying to tell you what to do and not to do. They want to understand what's happening and why am I getting that medication and why why do you recommend these things. You have a right to ask. 
There are studies that actually show long-term survivors are those who engage in, di in, in their treatment and actually are understand. And if you don't understand, somebody needs to uh, help you to understand and provide the education for you to understand why we're doing what, we do, what we're doing. I always sit down with the person and I say, okay, I'm starting you on this medication. This is why I'm starting you on this medication. And then I go to the nurse and I tell the nurse why I'm starting them on the medication. It's all about everybody needs to understand why we're doing what we're doing to that person. Well, I hope all the healthcare professionals are listening to how you interact with patients because, um, you know, you're really dedicated and you're coming from the patient's perspective. And, you know, this is such great information. My, my only observation is, is that the new term is called engaged. Uh, in the olden days, it was called being a pain in the butt. And, um, you know, it's okay to be a pain in the butt patient when you're, you know, advocating for your care. Because uh, I, I think, you know, the pain in the butts uh, are the ones who survive. And, uh, you know, I'm a great example of that because, uh, but as you said before, you know, the internet is can be scary. And, you know, you really have to use your physician's time wisely by not bringing in, oh, there's 10 treatments for you know, that can cure me for kidney disease. I mean, really make good use of his time and not, you know, it, it can get a little crazy sometimes with the internet and how people get engaged. I mean, the latest one is that there's this article going on that you don't need immunosuppressant drugs anymore, you know, or some people are uh, uh, able to, you know, not take immunosuppressant drugs during their transplant. It's a study. It's going on. But, you know, this wouldn't be a good thing to walk into your doctor's office and say, oh, let's stop my immunosuppressant drugs because of this study. And uh, you really use that time wisely. Yeah, I chuckle when you said earlier the pain in the butt. Those are the ones I've always enjoyed because I think that those are the people who are the survivors. And, and they are the ones that I have. Uh, and I think that's where my passion comes from because I know that when, uh, you know, when you're, those, when you're one of those people who get involved, it really makes a difference in your outcome. And absolutely, use your physician's time. And every, you know, come in with very specific, appropriate questions. And some of those questions are just need to know kind of thing. Like, I, I mean, just want to know kind of thing. You can bring to the dialysis center. You're there for, X, you know, four hours, whatever. Um, and ask somebody, you know, I saw this on TV, and what do you think about this? And I can tell you, I hear plenty of stories. Well, if I, I had a gentleman who was told if he paid this, he only spoke Spanish. He went to Miami, and he said, you know, they told me if I went on this machine, excuse me, my kidneys would come back and I'd be fine. And he had been on dialysis for eight years already. I said, no, it's not going to be good. But he came to me and told me this. So right. I was able to tell him, no, that's not going to happen that way. So, you know, it's very important for us before you invest. Or, or, and people love to give unsolicited advice. And I, when I talk to people about chronic kidney disease and renal options, re renal placement options for, you know, dialysis and that, I tell them, don't. You know, sometimes it's not good to listen to everybody unless you, you know, come back and talk to your health care provider and say, you know, so-and-so said they're getting this done. Do you know what that is? Is that something that might work for me? Because it might not work for you. Yep, it's, it's definitely true. Well, Deborah, thank you so much for, um, you know, sharing some of your information of how you provide care to patients, which I think you would be one of the dream healthcare professionals. Um, and, and I know I have a lot of excellent healthcare professionals. And then when you encounter ones that you think aren't as great as Deborah, you can have them listen to this show, right? I, I think that would be a great solution. So, well, thank you so much for all your dedication to patients. And um, 
I look forward to hearing the next things you have published. Okay, thank you. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. 